Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you, and uh, again, welcome to Taylor's. For those of you who are watching online this morning, just uh, a, a big salute to you. Uh, it's wonderful to hear uh, how people, if they're sick or if uh, they're away out of town, and they take time to watch and to be with you in the service, and so uh, just a big salute to, to you all there. Over in the Modern Worship Service in the Fellowship Hall, it's great to have you here as well. I know they've had a you guys have had a wonderful time baptizing uh, in that service as well. It's been a great, great day already, and I can't wait to share the Word of God with you this morning. And if you have a copy of the Scriptures, you turn to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5, we're going to read a story, and then we're going to dive into the story and try and pull from the text some things to help us. And if this is your first time here or you've missed a couple of weeks, we're in a series called the kingdom way, where we are simply trying to watch Jesus as he moves and as he deals with people and as he carries out his mission. And we want to match our lives with Jesus, but more than that, we also want to see our church match the mission of Jesus as well. And our mission is this. We exist to make disciples, make followers of Jesus as we encounter God and worship as we have here in both rooms as we equip believers, and as we engage the world. And so we see all of these elements coming together in this story from Luke chapter 5 this morning. And so if you have your place, if you need a copy of the Word of God in this room, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you. You can go ahead and turn on your digital device over in the other room as well. If you need a hard copy of the Scriptures, just raise your hand. Our deacons will come. Some people just want to have the Scriptures right in their hands. So if you need one in that room... Turn to Luke chapter 5, and if you have your place already, will you stand with me out of respect and reverence for the Word of God this morning as we not only hear what God has to say, but we watch Jesus in action. And here's what it says. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed. And go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on. And he went home 
glorifying God, and amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Here's what's happening in our series so far. Luke introduces us to Jesus as in his hometown. He preaches and proclaims, this is why I'm here, for the gospel. To bring those who are oppressed and those who are blind and those who are poor and those who are held captive to set them free. Let me step down here for a second. These are four great young men, and there's a fifth one in here, if you can see his soles of his feet right here. These are students from our student ministry group, and I asked them to help me this morning to preach. And and here's why I asked them to come this morning for for you, because here's what I wanted to do is is really bring you and, and have you step into this text. This is a great story. Uh, You you can teach this text at Vacation Bible School. You can teach this text in your Sunday school class. And you can do even crafts. And you can have all sorts of things. But it's one thing to have a story on a Sunday and watch it from a distance. It's another thing to step right in it. And I pray you'll never, ever forget these four young men carrying a fifth young man in on a blanket at Taylor's First Baptist Church. Hope you step into this story. But here's the other thing. Here's what some of you might be thinking. (laughs) This is kind of silly. It just kind of disrupts the regular order of worship. And this is going to push the long-winded preacher back even further with these guys coming in here. Know what you're thinking. This is disruptive or, or this is disrespectful. But how would you like to be Jesus? Mark chapter 2 says he's preaching the word of God. And suddenly flakes of mud or of tile start coming down. And a hole opens up in the house. And can't you see some of those people? You're disrupting the the preaching. But Jesus just says, no, this is why I'm here, for the word of God to come alive. Um, Here's another another, uh, lesson from these guys as they come, and it's this, that your pastor is willing to take bold risks to communicate the word of God effectively. When I talked to one of the ministers this week, they said, Pastor, I think we should put you on a mat and drag you across the stage. And, and I simply said, there's a limit to my boldness. That's all I'm going to say. You're only going to go so far with that. But I want you to know that your pastor is longing to communicate the word of God in such a way where it becomes alive in you. And coming in and coming out just isn't a routine exercise, just isn't the regular order of worship. But instead, you get a hold of the word of God. And you take it with you. Here, here's the final thing. And the, are you guys tired yet? You tired? Okay. All right. I want you to see flesh and blood. I want you to see their faces. These guys are seniors, seniors in high school. And uh, Robbie is a sophomore. Ryan, you are a, what are you in school? Ryan's a junior. These guys are, are young men. 
And you know what? We don't know the ages of those young men who are in that story. They very well could have been teenagers. They very well could have been uh, young men in their 20s. We don't know. They could have been older. But here's the point. Jesus, in the kingdom way, is looking for regular people like you and me. Students like these guys. Because the kingdom way is not made up of preachers and prophets. That's just part of it. It's not made up of spiritually elite. That's just not, that's just, that's just part of it. You know, the kingdom way is made up of believers, followers of Christ like you and I, who then grab a hold of the word of God. And the word of God grabs a hold of us and we go out and see the world engaged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what this is about. Guys, thank you so much. We, you can take William. Just don't drop him on the way out, all right? Our text, go back to our text. Thought number one this morning, and I'm going to give it to you. It's on the screen, and then we're going to try and tear it apart. Thought number one is this, that religious thinking builds fences that keep people Captive. So in our text, here's what's happening. As these guys come in, sitting there are scribes or experts in the law and Pharisees. These are guys from all over. They have come from Jerusalem. They have come from Judea and Galilee. In other words, if they've come from Jerusalem, they've come from headquarters. They've come from the place where they are really, really questioning from the top down, who is this guy? And does he have any right at all to do the things that he's doing? Does he have any right to teach the things that he's doing? So here they come, and they're checking him out. And we know they're checking him out because later on in the text, here are the questions that they ask. Who are you? Do you have any right as if they are the ones who are in authority there, not him? And here is what we want to understand this morning, that religious thinking, like the experts in the law, like the Pharisees, can keep people captive when Jesus wants to set them free. And I use that word, building fences, in, in, in the point based on, on a paragraph that I read this, morning, uh, this week that was really, really helpful to me. And Daryl Bach, this, this New Testament professor, said this. He said, the Pharisees are faithful to God. you got to remember that. We, we, we like to kick them around as pastors. We like to kick around the scribes and the Pharisees because of what they're doing to Jesus. And what Luke is doing is he brings these guys to the forefront, not only for this story, but for the entire gospel. What Luke is saying is, here come the lines. And they're going to try and keep Jesus away from the law, away from religion, away from people. Because what he's doing, we don't fully understand what he's doing. So they're going to draw a line. We're going to see this all throughout the gospel. And Luke uses this story to introduce it in a way where here they are checking him out. And here's what this, this New Testament writer said. He said, they're faithful to God. And they're so devout. And they're so meticulous that they build these elaborate systems of traditions for people to follow. And instead of making a way to Jesus, here's what they do. They build a fence around the law to keep it from being violated. They build fences 
around you. They build walls around the law because they got to protect it. They got to guard it. They got to defend it. And anything new, anything associated with the kingdom we see in the gospel of Luke, they're going to do everything they can to guard it. And here's what happens. Over time, these traditions applied to daily life become rigid. They become imbalanced and they become hypocritical. And so we see these Pharisees they have a heart to stop Jesus. They have a heart for, for moving the kingdom, channeling it a different way. And over time, here's what happens. As these Pharisees, the guardians of religion, as they heap on these traditions and as they add to the daily customs and rituals of the people, the people become overwhelmed. They become burdened. They can't do it. They're tired. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he looks at them and he says, he looks at them as sheep, not having any shepherds. They're scattered. Why? Because they're sin weary and they're burden weary. And Jesus looks at them in Matthew chapter 11, one of my favorite verses, when he says to these waylaid, burdened people, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. You don't need to subject yourself to all of these things. And here's, here's maybe what is going through some of your minds this morning. Yeah, those Pharisees back in the day, whoo, man, they were really, really legalistic. They were really, really ritualistic on Jesus, and they really handcuffed him, and they kept people captive, they kept the people away. But here is where we're not careful. You and I can become Pharisees. You and I can have a Pharisee-type heart. And, and you might be thinking, that, 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 that's not me. I, I believe the gospel. I believe in what Jesus has said. But how do you know if you and I, and look, I've been in church my entire life. I shared with dinner with the staff a couple weeks ago how I came to faith in Jesus. I, I grew up in a Christian home, but there was a day in which I knelt and gave my life to Jesus. And I, I've been in a Christian home my entire life. So, so I am candidate number one to be a Pharisee. And I'll share with you in just a little bit how that, that works out in my life. But you and I, if we've been in church any amount of time, if, if we've grown up in the church or we're accustomed to a particular system of Christianity, we can have a Pharisee heart. And here's what it looks like when we become more faithful to our traditions. We become more faithful to a system. We become more faithful to a particular way of worshiping. When we become more faithful to a particular style of Bible study. When we become more faithful to church as we design it and as it appeals to me. If we are more faithful to a system than we are to the heart of God. And the heart of God is this, to love God and love people. And if we're more faithful to this system, here's what happens. We get inward. We kind of focus in on ourselves. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to defend our turf. We'll begin to build up fences. We'll begin to build up walls and say, I dare anybody to cross over into my territory here. Let's be careful. Look, I lovingly say this to the church here at Taylor's First Bed. If you're a guest here, you're just hearing my heart as a pastor in the text here. I, I, the culture in which there is a sense of defending, a, a sense of suspicion. It is a hurtful culture, but here's what it does. Here's what it does. It pulls a body inward and it keeps a body from looking outward. 
A culture that says, we're going to defend this, or we don't fully understand that, or we're not open to that, or we haven't done it this way, or we're not sure what you're doing. Hey, look, I'm not asking the church here at Taylor's to understand every single thing. I am speaking, though, to your heart, to your heart which says, am I willing and open to the movement of God if the movement of God matches Jesus' heart to reach people and to bring them into the kingdom of God? Am I open to that or am I more faithful over here? I appeal to your hearts this morning. Here's how this works. Let me just give you a, a quick example. I shared this morning in the 9 o'clock service, so I want to be true for some integrity in both services to try and communicate the same things as much as possible. That Welcome Center out there. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful place for people to gather. Our ministers, when we huddle up around the table, and when we hear what God is doing, and through those open spaces, and through guests coming in, and just the, the difference that it makes, and John and Rhonda are working over there in the Connection Center, and they're putting a, a connection place for parents to come in. Oh, this is what we long to do, is to, to make available in an innovative way, in a creative way, a space where people can come and connect. But here is what pulls you underneath. Here is what just kind of grabs our legs and pulls us down a little bit. It's the suspicion and it is the distrust. And listen, when your pastor leads you, he is going to lead you prayerfully and with the counsel of those around him. And I pray under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But his heart, hear my heart here. You've heard me preach it over the last couple of weeks. My heart is to match the heart of the kingdom. And if we can use a space and a facility to open up a way for others to connect in a way they couldn't before, I say, let's give it a shot. Let's go for it. Because I long to see people love God and I want to love other people. And if anything holds us back, look, when we, we talk about D groups, I love my D group. My, my group of three guys, and we're together on Wednesday mornings. And, and listen, listen, your pastor's not doing away with life groups. <laughs> your, your pastor doesn't want to disrupt. Your pastor doesn't want to change for the sake of change sake. But if there is a way where I, with others, can grow in the Word, and I'm telling you, your pastor's growing. Your pastor's growing in the Word. Just talking to my wife, I'm just saying, man, the book of Genesis is really, really working on me here. I'm growing with these guys. We're being challenged. And if, if God can use that group of people to connect with God and reach others, and it's innovative, it's not a matter of doing away with the old. It's saying, God, how can you use, how can you use different ways to see the Word of God come alive in people, for people to read the Scriptures for themselves and to turn around for their families and others and multiply and make disciples. How can we do that better? That's my heart. And if we're not careful, here's what happens. The culture of distrust drags you down. And I don't want a Pharisee's heart because I have one at times. I'll share with you in just a second how that works. But I don't want this body to have a Pharisee heart. And I sense it in some. I sense it in some. There's a, there's a rigidness. There's a defensiveness. And, and, and I'm not saying I'm right 100% of the time. What I am saying is together, with soft hearts, can we say, what does Jesus want? 
What does Jesus want for this body? 152, 53 years old. Went to the circus yesterday. Downtown. The circus is over 145 years, but it is done. <laughs> it's over. Why? Because a model and a method of entertainment it just changes. It just changes. And that's okay. As long as the church of Jesus Christ says we change, just not for change sake, but we change for the mission of reaching people. Now, here's what it's going to take. Here's the second thought this morning. It's this, that the kingdom way brings spiritually paralyzed people to Jesus. The kingdom way brings spiritually paralyzed people to Jesus. So when these men come and they see this paralyzed man, we don't know how old he is. We don't know if he's a son. We don't know if he's, if he's a brother. We don't know if he's a, a father or an uncle. We don't know if he's the, he's the guy hanging outside this house that he's been there all the time and they just kind of roll their eyes and that's kind of like the town paralytic, you know? We, we don't know if he's, if he's been paralyzed his entire life or if he's been paralyzed for just something just happened. But these men, the kingdom way, the religious way says, guard, defend, don't move me. The kingdom way says, I'm going to see differently. And here's what these men do. They look at him and they don't see getting the primary seats in the house to hear Jesus. There's no room. It's completely full. The goal is not to hear Jesus. The goal is with spiritual eyes, they have seen someone who is not only uh, physically paralyzed, but because of that, emotionally and spiritually oppressed. Because if he's paralyzed, here's the connotation. He's done some wicked sin. Now, we know that's not true in all cases, but Jesus comes to us and he says, your sins are forgiven. So here's what these people see. They see someone who is oppressed. They see someone who is in great need, who is helpless. They see someone who they need to bring before Jesus. And if you have a religious way of thinking, you're so worried about what's inside the fence that you can't see people outside the fence. And so what they do is they see him with spiritual eyes. This is what faith is. And I love this word. It just jumps out at you in the text when Jesus, he's lowered down. Can you imagine this scene? They can't get in. They climb up the stairs, up. That roof could have had some ceramic tile or it could have been mud or whatever it is. The bottom line is they were bold enough to start tearing this guy's roof off. And imagine, you saw these guys who were here. Had to be a big enough space for it to drop down. And can you imagine just Jesus saying, what is going on here? What is happening? And he looks up and he sees them. And he says, don't disrupt the preaching. Come back. He doesn't say that. He says, I, you are men of faith. When he looks up, can you imagine this? Jesus looking up these guys. I mean, they're down the hole. You're looking down in there, you know. And inside of his heart, Jesus is moved by their faith. Their, their focus is on the right thing. Here, here's what faith is. Faith is simply seeing what God sees with spiritual eyes and having the courage to act on it. That's what faith is. Faith just sees what God sees and you act on it. And they did. It took incredible boldness. It took incredible, it took incredible uh, a risk 
I mean, I don't know if they came to Peter. Some believe it's Peter's house, wherever it is. I don't know if they paid a bill afterwards. I don't know how they squared up with this. Maybe the roof could be fixed really easily. But they took a risk. They were, they were bold and they were selfless. They were saying, you know what? There's something beyond me just climbing in to hear Jesus. There's something just beyond me getting my fill of this teacher. There's something here beyond me that causes me to step out in great sacrifice. We here at Taylor's, we, we have seven values. One of those values is innovative faith. And I love this one because here's what it says. It sounds really business-like, but here's what it says. We believe that if we can create an environment, whether it's a life group, a, a Bible study group, a discipleship group, if we can create a space like a facility, if we can create a service, whatever it is with our special services or in our worship times, if we can create an environment that is relevant and reaching of people and connects with people, but do so in a way, that ever-changing method, but do so in a way not just to change, just not to be the, to have the latest and the greatest, not to be like so-and-so down the road, but if we do so with the gospel at the heart, here's what we're saying with innovative faith, that we believe in ever-changing methods. This is a good way to live your life. Ever-changing methods, but a never-changing gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ does not change. And these men understand that gospel and they say this man is spiritually and physically oppressed and Jesus can heal him if we can just get him to Jesus. Now stop right here and here's, before we go on, here, here's what I want you to think back to. Do you know what it is to be spiritually oppressed? I mean, think back to your, to your days before you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me. I, I'm a young, I, I was a young boy when I came to faith in Jesus, so it's hard for me to imagine. But I begin to understand with my own sin and my own life and, and my own struggles and how that sin works itself out in my own life. I know what it means to be under the weight and the oppression of sin, and you just want to be free from that, and I can come to Christ, and he can forgive me. But what does it feel like to be spiritually oppressed, where the weight is so heavy, and your sin is so great, and your guilt is so strong, that everything you do when you wake up, you don't fully understand it, but you are so paralyzed by the, do you recognize that these are the people Jesus came to save? Luke chapter 4. Do you, do you see do you see these people in your life? Do you see them? Because Jesus said, I came not for those who are well. I came for those who are in need of a physician. Man, you can't get away from it in the beginning of, this, of our series. Man, it's just Jesus everywhere he turns. He's, he's connecting with those who are sick spiritually. And here's what it looks like for me. You want to title this section, you can title it Your Pastor as a Pharisee, okay? Here's what it looks like for me. Three days, the past three days. On this point, as the text is just working me over. I was on the phone with one of our ministers, and he was at a, a place where he was getting something to eat, and I recognized the place. And so I said, hey, I said, hey, um, there's, a, there's a guy, is there a guy there who's working there? And um, I'm, I'm not going to tell you his name. But there, is there a guy? Yeah, 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 he's there. And I said, can I tell you a story about this guy? And I, and I told Cherie this story, and we put it all together. And, and it goes like this. One day I was in there, and, and this guy's normally there. And one day he was missing, so I asked the lady, I said, where's so-and-so? And she said, he's not here. He's struggling a little bit. 
And, and so it wasn't long after that that I saw him in a gas station. And so I, I called him by name, and I said, hey, man, I, I come in and eat over there, really enjoy your place, and um, I, you, you've been missing. And before I tell you what he said to me, th this is what, Shereen, I, here, here's our conversation uh, about this. And she's like, oh, you mean the guy that you've said is aloof, and he's kind of different, and he's kind of hidden back? Yeah, that's the guy, Pharisee pastor here. And I stop him, and he's just downcast, and he just says, you know what? He goes, yeah, it's been a tough, tough time. He says, my, my girlfriend just died. Oh, man. And I'm worried about the way he treats me at a restaurant. But do I see him? Do I say, do, do you see your coworkers that way? Do you see behind the, the gruff, <laughs> the lazy? <laughs> Students. You see those kids that mistreat you that way? They tear you up on social media. Do you see them as oppressed and hurting? Story number two. Next day, um, I went to get a I went to get a haircut. Lindsay O'Rear this morning, for the sake of full disclosure, Lindsay O'Rear asked me this morning, "Did I mean to get my haircut that this way?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, I meant to." Thank you, Lindsay. I love you. He was there. He was sitting right up there. And I pointed to him in the first service. He goes, all right, we'll, we'll get through it. I'm like, okay. Uh, thank you. Um, when you hear the story, he's going to feel really bad. Um, but there's a gal that cuts my hair, and your pastor doesn't like change. I hate change. Ask my wife. Oh, man, I hate change. Don't look at my sock drawer. Those socks have probably been there for years and years and years. And, um, but my gal who cuts my hair, a single gal, had a baby. And so she's out. And so like all you women, your sissy pastor was like, who's going to cut my hair now, right? Who's going to do that? And she's like, oh, just go to someone. I'm like, no, 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 no. I got to go to her. I, she's great. She's great. There's no one to cut my hair. All right, got to go. She's not coming back just for me with the baby, right? And, um, and so I go to this gal. And I'm all worried about being changed. And I'm all worried about my circumstances. And God put this gal in my life. She said yesterday, she goes, you know what? Now when you come in, you got two people that you can come to because she needs Jesus. But I'm worried about who's cutting my hair. <laughs> what circumstance are you in where, where you're resistant and defensive and God has placed someone right in front of you? How about this last one? So, in the hospital yesterday and, um, I, you know, I, I love to visit. I, 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 do, I really do. I, it, it's one, it, it is a joy just to come in and just to talk to people. and just. Um, I think I stay too long sometimes. Imagine that. <laughs> and um, Dr. Harley has taught me, man, you don't have to stay there the whole time. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it is a joy. And I don't get to do it as much as I, I, I want to. But I was at the hospital yesterday. I had to see a couple of people. And I look on the report list, and there's a couple of others that I need to see. And here's my first thought is I didn't get a chance to study yesterday morning for my sermon, and I need to hurry up and get through this hospital so that I can go study and preach for you. <laughs> Very worthy, right? But an incredibly pharisaical way of looking at it. 
instead of loving people and opening up my life to people. And so I'm walking down the hallway in this waiting room. You know, when you're a pastor and you come to waiting room, you just wonder, should I do something? You know, should I, should I touch them? Should I pray with them? What, what do I do? I just want to help people. And so I'm walking through, and there's this guy. He had the worst look on his face, and he just seemed so tired. This was like 8 in the morning, 8.15 in the morning. He, he just seemed really, really tired, and I just, oh, this text, you know, what do I do with this? And I just keep walking, and I do my visits, and I come back out, and oh, there he is. Yeah. Okay. And so I just go up to him and I just say, hey, man, I, I'm a pastor. And I just, I just saw you here and I, I just wanted to pray for you. And he said, I said, what's your name? And he gave me his name and I said, everything okay? And he just said, you know, um, my, my, my mom just fell and she, she's in the hospital. And, and I said, I, I'm going to pray for you. And I did. Last night I prayed for him and his mom. And I just prayed that that simple word, as I didn't want to bother him, that simple word going out is a word where the gospel can, can bear seeds. I didn't preach the gospel. I didn't tell him it. It was just an openness on my part, a simple step which says, wherever God puts you, are you thinking like a Pharisee or are you thinking like a kingdom follower? And so I would just encourage you, church, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Here's what I would encourage you to think about doing. Um, intercede. Pray. Pray. Let, let me ask you a question, and I'm guilty here too. When is the last time that your life group or your Bible study or your discipleship group, some have been going on, these Bible studies have been going on for a long, long time. Some have been going on for a relatively short period of time. When was the last time that your group, remember those four guys right here? Remember them? Remember the four men that brought? They're a team. They're a group. When was the last time you as a group prayed to the point where you saw a breakthrough and someone prayed to receive Jesus and come into the kingdom of God? Or are, are, we so, are we so concerned about what we know and getting the discipleship process down? And are we so concerned about defending that we, we, we don't pray for lost people? And some of you do. I told the 9 o'clock service, some of you do that. I commend that. But, but when was the last time you, you just prayed and you just said, Students, if you just rally, some of you, man, I know how you operate in these schools. You got your friends, you hang. Man, what if you just said, we're going to pray? Secondly, just don't intercede. Interact. Interact with people. Love them. Engage with them. I love a podcast. I was listening to a podcast last night, and the podcast was on how your church can really be gospel-centered, getting the gospel out. And, and, the, and the host was, to, or the, um, the, the primary guy was, was speaking, and he was talking about the coffee shop, the baristas, the, the, the ones that make the coffee behind the, how that there are so many of those that don't know Jesus. And the, and the host goes, you know what? I go, to a, I go to a Christian place where there's all Christians. And the, and the guy goes, well, go to a place where there's not believers, Right? Don't wrap your world around yourself and Christianity where you miss out on your life in hospitals, in coffee shops, in your workplace, in your schools, in the mom's clubs, on those athletic teams. Don't miss out. That God is not haphazard. He's going to intentionally put people in front of you. And he's saying, will you bring them? Will you act with great faith? Will you act with great faith? Here's the third thing. What do I do? Share the gospel. At some point, you've got to sh share the good news. 
if you don't know it, we'll teach you. We're teaching a class right now on Wednesday evenings on how, what it means to share the gospel or with a group of people say, hey, let's commit together where we're going to begin sharing the gospel together because here is at the heart of people's needs. It's not their addictions, although that's a problem. It's not their homelessness. That's a problem. It's not their marriage that's in shambles. That's a problem. It's not the way that they yell and scream and holler and abuse their kids verbally. That's a big, big problem, but that, that's not the ultimate problem. Their ultimate problem and my ultimate problem is my sin. And the gospel, unlike religion, which says you must act this way to become good, to get up to God, the gospel says this. In your sin and in your weakness, Jesus has come down to free you. If you will only open up your heart. Now that's good news. That's good news. And I encourage you, church, we can do this. We, we can turn the corner where there's no longer a, a culture of defensiveness, but instead there's a culture of what do I do? How do I boldly share the gospel? Help me, pastor, help me do that. Where, where you're, you're coming up with innovative ways. You're the ones, because you're the followers of Jesus. You're the ones that have the Holy Spirit in you. You're the ones coming and saying, look at how the gospel worked its way out. I see it. I see it happening in cases. But do you see? Do you see? There's an old African proverb, and I'll end with this. It's an old African proverb that says this. There is only one crime worse than murder on the desert. And that is to know where the water is and not tell anybody. Let's have hearts that pursue the gospel in us and through us. And it will result in amazing things that you saw there at the end of the text. It will result in worship. It will result in the body coming together. It will result in our growth. It will result in Jesus looking at us as a church, looking at you individually, but as a church saying, I see your faith. I see it. Wow. Let's pray together. Father, what a great text. What a great story. But now we apply it to our own hearts. And Father, if worship is a time to confess our sin, Father, I, I, I confess, I confess the Pharisee in me, which is more attuned to my way, my system, my defenses, than it is saying, Jesus, lead me into areas that's uncomfortable, uncertain. Lead me in a way where I, my heart is to please you with, with faith, not with, not with duty, but with faith. And, I, and that sp the Holy Spirit just carries me, Father, from, from the sin of being a Pharisee to the joy of fruitfulness in Christ. And I pray that for my brothers and for my sisters here. And I pray that for our church, that there's a spirit of repentance. There's a spirit of confession. There's a spirit of soft. There's a spirit of how do we serve and love the Lord with all of our heart as we worship, but then walk out these doors and love people. Oh, Holy Spirit, this is your work. And my, your word, this is your word. And these are your people. And together, would you lead us? Would you lead us? 
so that the mission of Jesus takes root in a remarkable way for the glory of Christ, for spiritually paralyzed, helpless people. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.